0: It answers. In the scriptures, we hear of many valiant men who have gone through tremendous testing. However, none more than Job. Loss of property, family, and depletion of health brought him to his knees. But his faith was in an ever-present and all-knowing God. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukeran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast... Let's tune in, as Pat starts a three-part study into the life of Job. You won't want to miss any part of this fascinating study. If you're unable to hear this entire message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now with part one of Message One is our host, Pat Zukran.
1: In the next three weeks we have together, we're going to go through perhaps one of the most profound books in the entire Bible. It's the book of Job. Hey, we're going to march right through the book of Job in three weeks. So turn with me to the book of Job. Job is perhaps one of the most beautifully written poetic books in all of literature. The book has been heralded as a masterpiece unequaled in all of literature. Alfred Tennyson, a literary scholar, labeled the book the greatest poem of ancient or modern times. So not only is it a great literary work, it addresses some of the greatest questions that we all ask when we encounter very difficult times and the world comes crashing down around us and all hope seems lost. Questions such as, where is God when I need him the most? He seems to be silent. Does he even care? Why do the righteous suffer? Is God just? How should believers in Christ face times of tremendous pain and suffering when all seems lost and the world comes crashing down around us? These are the questions that Job wrestles with. That's why it's such a tremendous and powerful and valuable book, because these are the questions we all ask, whether out loud or in our closets. These are the questions we all struggle with. And these are the questions that Job addresses which is why this is perhaps one of the most profound books in all of the Bible, and it's going to shatter a lot of your canned thinking and a lot of our misconceived ideas about God, reality, and His truth. Before we begin, let's give an introduction to the background of the book of Job. First of all, we don't know who the author is. This is one of the most ancient and oldest books there in the Bible. Now, there's several candidates who many believe wrote the book of Job. Some would say that it is Moses who wrote it. All right, the man who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament wrote this book. Another candidate is the wise King Solomon, eh, who was a great writer during his reign. And another candidate is Job himself. So those are the top three candidates as to who wrote the book of Job. Some build the case that Job was written before the great flood of Noah, or right after the great flood, okay, mainly due to chapter 40 and 41 of Job, right? So one particular estimated time that Job was written. Another one is that Job was written during the time of the patriarchs, about 1500 BC, during the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay? And this is The position that I favor, I think this one has a better case. The reason is Job lives for 210 years. Before the flood, they were living 800, 900 years. Job lives for about 200 years. That's about the age length of the patriarchs. Wealth was measured by your livestock. And that's what we have indeed in the time of the patriarchs. And then these groups of people are named, the Sabians and the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans... Are the forerunners of the Babylonian Empire and they existed you know well after the flood and then there are several individuals mentioned throughout the book who are tied with Abraham Sheba grandson Tima another grandson of Abraham Eliphaz a son of Esau Uz, a nephew of Abraham so for these reasons I favor the date about 1500 BC is when this book is written and it's still one of the oldest books in the Bible. Now, where was Job? Well, verse 1 says that he's in the land of Uz. All right? Not the land of Oz, Uz. Now, Uz, we think, is in modern-day Jordan, right there, east of present-day Israel, east of the Jordan River. Modern-day Jordan, right there, is the land of Uz. And that's where Job lives. Now, We begin in chapter 1, and we are introduced to our hero of the story here, Job. It says here in verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. They were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that... This man was the greatest of all the peoples of the east. His sons used to hold a great feast in the house, and each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that the children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did this continually." So we're introduced to the character of Job here. And one of the outstanding things about Job, we're told, is his character. This is a righteous man. Two phrases are used to describe Job. Blameless and upright, fears God, and shuns evil. Now, the phrase blameless and upright, the word blameless there is used of sacrificial animals, Remember, when you had presented an animal before the Lord to sacrifice, it had to be without blemish, without spot, without any kind of physical blemish. So when it's used of humans, it refers to a person of integrity. Not someone who is sinlessly perfect, but a man of sound character, a person of integrity. So it describes someone who consistently walks with God. The term upright is one who is faithful to God's law. Now the phrase feared God and shunned evil. The term feared God there refers to one who has a very solid trust in God. He loves God, and that builds within him a healthy respect of God. He's not frightened of God. He has a very healthy respect of God. He doesn't want to sin against God. His obedience to God is driven by his love, just like sons and daughters. They have a healthy, or should have, a healthy fear of dad. Not that they're terrified of dad, but they don't want to disappoint dad. The worst thing for them is to go against dad's commands and disappoint him and look at his face when they have failed to obey what he has commanded. All right, That's kind of what it means when he says he feared God. There's a healthy respect for God there. And in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of God is the foundation of wisdom. Shuns evil is one who avoids evil. In other words, they never place their trust in other gods or things. So Job's righteousness was legendary. In fact, it's highlighted by the prophet Ezekiel a thousand years later in chapter 14 of the book of Ezekiel. Next we learn Job was an incredibly successful businessman. This guy was a business tycoon. He was the Donald Trump of his time. His wealth is absolutely staggering, all right? Says in the text there he had over 3000 camels. A camel is worth a, to just one camel is worth a lot of money in the Middle East, all right? And when we were there in the land of Israel and Jordan, we saw just how valuable camels were even to this day. Camels can walk for hundreds of miles, carry tons of equipment and go where cars and trucks cannot possibly go, all right? And in fact, They would even trade human beings for camels, all right? That's how valuable camels were. And there's over 3,000, all right? That's like saying in our day, Job had a fleet of 16-wheelers for all of his trade, 200 16-wheel trucks. That's the kind of fleet this guy had. He had over 500 oxen. Oxen are used for farming. So imagine a guy that says, I got over 100 tractors here to take care of my farm. Well, you're thinking this guy has a massive farm. And that's what Job had, 500 oxen to plow his field, 500 donkeys. These are also domestic animals to work around his property. And it says that he had 7,000 sheep. Even to this day, sheep are incredibly valuable for their wool and textile. So this guy had a tremendous business. The property that he owned must have been just absolutely huge, maybe like the size of the island of Lanai or something. Who knows? Is just absolutely huge. And he was a spiritual leader offering sacrifices on behalf of his children. So his uprightness, his moral character, and his integrity is revealed in how he would wake up his children early in the morning and lead them in worship and sacrifice of sin before the Lord. That's because Job revered and honored the holiness and righteousness of God. Okay, so that's the kind of man he was a righteous upright and a blameless kind of man so we're talking about a righteous man here and that's Joe Joe would be the kind of guy that if he were in your fantasy football league and he saw that your team was losing every week he would call you up and say hey you know I see you're struggling let me give you your best play, my best player all right that's the kind of guy he is and I know that in our fantasy football league there are many righteous men in this league and women. And so I will be expecting a phone call this afternoon sometime from these righteous men in our league. Well, like I said, from these righteous men and women in our league. Now, in verse 6, we're introduced to our adversary and a great cosmic duel that will determine the fate and destiny of mankind. Verse 6, we are introduced to the adversary here. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. We're introduced to the adversary, Satan. And one of the truths that the Bible teaches is that this physical world is not all that there is. There is a spiritual realm that is just as real, if not more real, than this physical world we have seen with our eyes. All right. If you study what we call near-death experiences, and the science and the medical research is pretty much overwhelming on this one now, and it's swinging in our direction, but when you talk to people who've had near-death experiences, they'll tell you that the world that they were in is far more real than the physical world that we are in now. And that's what the Bible teaches there's not only this physical world, but there is a spiritual world that is even more real than the world we live in now that we see with our eyes. And one day we shall all be there. And in this spiritual realm, there dwell powerful beings called angels and demons. And demons are fallen angels. And the term sons of God here refers to the angels. And on this day, they presented themselves to God to give account of their activity. And it says here in the text, in verse 6, that Satan also came with them. The Hebrew word for Satan means to oppose the law. Therefore, in this scenario, and in the New Testament, Satan is called the great accuser. He is like a prosecuting attorney who comes walking in with the angels of God, and he's got an allegation to put forth. And... In this meeting, Satan comes with the angels of God. Now the term there, and Satan was also with them, or also came among them, shows you that he was an outsider. He wasn't a regular coming before the throne of God as the rest of the angels. He came in as an intruder. All right? He walks in as an outsider here. This wasn't a regular thing that he does. And God is saying, from where have you come? As if you know, God didn't know, right? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, blameless and an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house so that all that he has is protected on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So Satan states that he had been roaming to and fro throughout the earth. And the Lord highlights Job showing that humans can live a righteous life of integrity. But Satan is one who seeks to thwart God's plan and destroy God's people. And he levels a serious accusation. And this is his accusation. He says this, that men and women only serve God out of selfish reasons. He's saying, God, men and women serve you not because they love you or because you're God, They serve you because of what they can get from you, blessing, eternal life, all these things. That's why they serve you. Take those things away, and you realize there's really no real relationship there, right? And Satan also is insinuating here that God actually buys the love of his people. It's because he showers them with blessings, and he protects them that people love him. And so he kind of buys their love. This is not a real love kind of relationship going on here. People simply love God for what they can get from him. It's similar to when you see a very young, attractive woman marrying an old, rich guy who's about to keel over. You may wonder, okay, did this guy buy the love of this woman? And is she marrying him just for his money? Knowing that in a year or two, he's going to keel over and I inherit everything. All right? You would question, is that a real love relationship? That's what Satan is accusing God of. By the way, my friend had a friend who married an old guy in his 90s, you know, on dialysis, ready to keel over for his money. And so she married him, not really with true motives, and she ended up dying before him. So, ah, doesn't always work. All right? Anyway, that's what Satan is accusing here. He's saying, hey, there's really no relationship here. God, you buy the love of humans by blessing them, and they really don't love you from their heart. They're in it for what they can get out of it. Take that stuff away, God. You'll find out there's really nothing here. So God says, okay, you may test my servant Job. And the plan to test Job is not done secretly in a back room between God and Satan. It's done in front of the entire heavenly host, and God has confidence That Job is going to pass the test. Now one of the life lessons we learn is that there is a grave spiritual war that wages all around us. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. This physical world is real, but there's a spiritual world that is even more real than the world we live in now. And in this cosmic realm is a tremendous spiritual battle that wages all around us, and it never ends. And Christians, we have to understand, we're not immune from spiritual attack. Our foe is pure evil, and he sits plotting night and day how to destroy you, not just cripple you, Just absolute destruction. Hey, 1 Peter 5 says that the devil roams around like a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to destroy you, your family, your marriage, all that you love and hold dear. He is out for the complete destruction. And there are times that God allows Satan to attack believers for a particular purpose, to teach us something. But unfortunately we often fail to acknowledge or recognize the spiritual war that ravages around us constantly. You might be surprised how much mental illness or things that come into your life may actually have a spiritual cause of this spiritual warfare. right? But we simply rationalize it as you know, unfortunate circumstances. But really, there may be powerful forces at work Behind the scenes there are several times in my life where it just kind of hits me on the head and I made aware Of the spiritual war that looms all around us You know we were in a country not too long ago in Asia Where it is not allowed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ religious freedom is not allowed in this particular country And so my friend owns a coffee shop out there and I was sitting down at the coffee shop, when a young girl in her 20s and mid 20s came down and sat down at my table and said, You're from America? I said, Yes. She said, You believe in God? I said, Yeah. She said, How do you know God exists? I was like, Oh, wow, wow, hey, all right. So we went through the evidence for the existence of God and we were answering her objections and having a great dialogue. And then she looked at me and she said, If God is so real, then why doesn't he speak to me or come in a more obvious way? And that gave me an opportunity to share the gospel when a young gentleman about in his mid-twenties came and he sat down and joined He said, I've been listening to conversation. Can I I ask you a question? So I paused for a moment. I said, yes. And he said, 9-11, how do you explain that? And so I got diverted a little bit. I said, well, and I explained about, god and evil and how actually evil is another evidence for the existence of god but he kinda cut me off and he said you know your president said we will never forget we will never forget we will never forget you guys hold grudges you guys got vendetta against the world don't you Uh," and started turning political obviously this guy had no interest in spiritual things or the truth of god's word so I started talking a little bit about terrorism and just war. Meanwhile, trying to get back to this girl who we're, we're getting to the gospel and trying to hold this guy off. And he said, you'll never forget. He said, he will never forget. You know, U.S. bullies people around the world. They exercise their power. They're bullies, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, hang on, hang on. And so we, I started talking the difference between terrorism and just war and kept trying to hold them off. And then he would jump in. And obviously he wanted this thing to go political, and this girl was sitting here waiting to hear the gospel. And I wanted to say, beat it, man, get out of here. Whatever. But I was trying to be nice to him. So I'm trying to hold this guy off and I'm trying to get to this girl. And meanwhile, he keeps jumping in. And then in a very nice way, she kinda of smiles at me. She says, Hey, this this is great. Thank you very much. You know, and she, you know, picked up her things and left. And I looked over at this guy, like really upset. And then he found out that, you know, I had a Japanese background and in that country. You know, Japan had committed several atrocities in the war, so you want to talk about Japanese? And I said, well, I don't know. I don't know anything about Japan. You know, he goes, who would you want to win the war, America or Japan? You know, well, guess I'm American. And, you know, eventually, obviously, he just, he didn't want to listen. I don't know why he came to talk to us. And eventually, you know, he got up and went on his way. But I was really frustrated and upset, and later on that night, I was talking to the team and sharing them the experience that had happened, how Mr. Satan had come in here. And they looked at me and they said, Pat, that's spiritual warfare. That is spiritual warfare. Now, I'm not saying that guy is Satan, but the devil used him to veer me away from sharing the gospel and having an opportunity to lead this girl to Christ, all right, and created that diversion there. And it just hit me square in the face. And she said, that's spiritual warfare. And said, hey, we got to pray up. A lot more before we go out there each day and it just hit me the reality of the spiritual warfare that is around us waged against us our family our church and those we love from a tremendously powerful enemy force that seeks our utter destruction so the life application we learn is this Number one, believers in Christ, we must be aware of the spiritual war that is always around us, waged by an incredibly powerful foe that seeks not to cripple us, but to absolutely destroy us. Therefore, we need to pray individually, but also to have a group of people committed, praying for us and our children always. I'm glad that Gary shared about praying for our college students. Boy, is there ever a time they are assaulted. They're on the university campus. And whenever we go and do ministry around the world, there's a team of committed people I always ask to be in prayer. And that's what we need constantly around us. So God allows Satan to test Job, and Satan unleashes a furious assault on poor Job, who, remember, is completely unaware of what's going on all that Job knows, and look at his perspective carefully, all he knows is I have been serving God and walking with God faithfully. All right. That's all that he knows. Suddenly all of this calamity comes upon him. In verse 13, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants and with the edge of the sword and i alone have escaped to tell you while he was yet speaking there came another and said the fire of god fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and i alone have escaped to tell you
0: thank you for joining us here on evidence and answers radio broadcast be sure to join us next time for the continuation of this exciting show If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence & Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.